is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, we're in the business of getting information to the American people, not making stars out of people that want to become contributors on CNN. And uh, that's a lot of times what we see take well, place in the briefing room. Uh, the State of the Union speech has been uh, canceled by Nancy Pelosi because she doesn't want to hear the truth. She doesn't want the American public to hear what's going on. We have a society in which there are an awful lot of people who have no idea that Stalin, Hitler, uh, Mao Zedong all came to power promising the same kinds of things that uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez is promising. I want to point out that she's a socialist. She wants 10% tax rates. Those are both accurate, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> Democratic, well, though. Democratic. Democratic socialist. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to hour two of the program. This hour, we're going to speak to Adam Michelle. He is a policy analyst in the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Say that fast three times. He's been on the show before, and we love hearing from him because he is an economist, a policy analyst, and someone who has an expert view, the long view, on uh, what the shutdown is doing to the economy. And I, I really want you to hear what he's going to explain to us because it's so common sense but it's not something that would naturally occur to us to think about as people begin to predict all of this economic slowdown due to the shutdown. Um, here's a hint. Our GDP numbers include the numbers that come from the government employees. So we don't separate those out. So that's your hint for what he's going to be talking about when he comes on today uh, in the next segment. Right now, I want to go to the phones. Thank you so much for holding on. And if you want to join in, I love taking callers all through the program, except when we have the guests. We don't usually accept calls then. So right now, Call lines are open, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Let's go to Dave in California. Hey, Dave, thanks for calling the show. How you doing? God bless you, Stacey, and fantastic thanks. job, and God bless the president. And I just uh, met one of my co-workers in San Francisco Police Department. He's heading for deployment in Afghanistan, so mm. uh, we're praying for him. He's got a one-month, I mean, uh, one-year detail there. Wow. Stacey, uh, I wanted to say that, you know, you perseverated on abortion, and you're absolutely right. I believe it's the greatest sin that this country has ever committed. The only two heroes that exist are Judge Byron White and Rehnquist, who in 73 were, dis were dissenters in this abomination and uh, believe that, th that the federal government did not have the right to authorize uh, abortions in each and every state of the union. Mm. And uh, and this and the millions and millions and millions of lives that have been lost since then. But I just want to bring them up because they were the only ones that, that had the guts to do the right thing, and yeah. uh, and will appear be, before God in, in, in saying that. Yeah, I I want to just when you say millions and millions of we you know we're well over sixty million people have been aborted uh, in the womb, and we're talking about eighteen states worth of people. So imagine 18 states more Americans here. And th this is what's so important, Dave. When I say 18 states with Americans, remember, we've, we've increased our immigration numbers to make up for that population loss because people in Washington know we need, we need workers. We need people to come here and live in towns and, and buy stuff and, and you know, to, to, to be here. We need warm bodies. So since Americans are aborting the babies, they're importing foreigners. And a lot of the foreigners that we're bringing in are fantastic. But we are also allowing illegal immigration for the cheap labor side. And what people don't understand is if we weren't aborting 18 states worth of people, 
with all of those people would be here. Some through natural attrition would not be alive. I mean, I'm not saying every one of them would have been just a stellar person, but out of 18 states worth of people, well, who have we aborted? Who, who have we said your life's not worth it? Geniuses, doctors, physicists, engineers, innovators. We've snuffed them out before they had a chance to do whatever God had for them to do here. And then we wonder why we have these big, huge, insurmountable problems. Why do we still have such a huge problem with cancer? Why do we not have a cure for that or something that really aggressively takes care of it early on? We're aborting our very treasure, the the thing that is going to bring us all of these wonderful innovations. We're just like, you know what, snuff it out. And for people who think it's only poor women who are having abortions, you're so wrong. Abortion is an equal opportunity offender. It stretches its evil hand out and scrapes the lives out of women's wombs, whether they're rich or poor or well-educated or not educated, and we don't actually have a specific part of our society where all of the genius comes from. Some kids, like the man who gave us the iPhone, he was adopted. He came from a broken home, and he still was able to do what he was able to do while he was here on this earth. Imagine if he'd been aborted. We'd only have Samsungs. And I know if you like Samsung, that's like, but still, still, you get what I'm saying. Uh, Thank you for calling the show, Dave. Uh, Bill in North Carolina, thank you for calling in today. Hello? Hi. Thanks for calling in. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, I, I, what you were talking about, like yesterday, and about New York, it, it upsets me so bad. It makes me shake. I mean, they're, they're so wicked, man. Their, their hearts are darkened. And the first thing I thought, you know, I, I heard, I was talking to the guy on your program, and he was saying, "Yeah, they were even cheering and and you know clapping and everything." And I said, "Yeah, I heard that." And, and they don't realize, they don't understand. When God judges them, it's going to be, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind, Babylon the Great has fallen, whereby all the kings of the earth were made rich. And they said the kings of the earth stood afar off for fear of her burning. You know, mm-hmm. and my, my hair is standing up on my arm right now. I mean, uh, they don't, it, it just scares me because they don't realize when God does judge them, how bad it's going to be for them. Their, their hearts are dark and their eyes are covered over. They don't see it. They don't understand no, and we we really I, I agree with you so much, Bill. What it, it I had the same thing. I actually saw the news and I thought, oh, you know, it can't be that bad. Then I read the story about all of the things that were illegal that are now legal in New York, and then I honestly I I thought to myself, it can't get any worse than this. And then I saw the clip of them applauding and how they turned the you know the World Trade Center pink, which that has if you think about. What happened at the World Trade Center, the World Trade Center towers were taken down in a terrorist attack, and now we have just the one that replaces it, and they use that particular building, not another building, no other building but that one, to celebrate their enshrining of eliminating babies' lives in the womb. It's all connected up. You have to, uh, you have to read the book. Oh, geez. I, I know I say that, and then I'm like, I can't remember what the title of the book is. I will, I will remember it. Obviously, it'll probably be when we go into the break, but... Um, it's a book by a Messianic Jewish man who he wrote about the World Trade Center coming down and how God brings his judgment and what it all meant. And it has prophecy in it, and it's just such an outstanding book. Um, and I will get that title for you if you're interested in reading it or listening to it on Audible. And I encourage you, if you're, if you're feeling overwhelmed with, you know, she said, read this book, she thought, get Audible, the audio uh, downloads, and you can listen while you're doing things, and it really makes it easier to get through a lot of content. Um, so as we were, and I, I promised I'd tell you about Morning Joe. Morning Joe and his wife, Mika, they're actually down in Jupiter, Florida, where both of their parents live, and their parents are elderly. 
when they've been caring for their parents down there and their house down in Jupiter, Florida actually has a studio in it, but it's not a full blown TV studio. It's just good for like individual hits. So they actually do the show. They're sitting right next to each other, but they have two cameras because otherwise you would see that they're in a makeshift studio. And she has a, uh, like a screen behind her that shows Washington DC. And he has one behind him that shows Washington DC, but they don't talk directly to each other because the camera would have to pan. And then you would see that they each have two different TV screens behind them. And then there are two different cameras. So that's what's going on there. They're, they're actually caring for family. Uh, a number of new media outlets have reached out to MSNBC for comment and they were not given any comment on it. So obviously it's not an optimal situation. And someone speaking off the record said that it is hard to get the same level and quality of programming done for their program with them down there in Florida doing that. But apparently that's what they're doing and there's no end date in sight. So that's what you're seeing when if you're watching the clips of uh, Morning Joe and you see them each sitting before at what an image that looks like a window on Washington, D.C., you're wondering why they don't have the same window. It's because they're in a individual studio. Uh, so now I want to get to the State of the Union address. And I was surprised this morning, I'm not going to lie, when the president came out with his statement saying, you know, okay, so she won't allow me into Congress. She's denying me that. And he said, this is a historic day and it makes me a part of history that she's done this to me. And um, I will postpone the address. We're not going to have it somewhere else. The president addresses the nation from the well of Congress, and that is where I will give the State of the Union. And, you know, he's basically giving Nancy her way and giving the historical perspective over to history. So right now we have rancor in our politics and we have it's very partisan. But look at how much Republican thought and um, really intent has changed since the Republicans impeached Bill Clinton. If And you know, if you're younger, you're thinking, what does that have to do with this? It has everything to do with what what happens when some intervening years pass by. At the time, the Republicans were outraged. I was outraged, and I wasn't even a Republican back then, that Bill Clinton had been carrying on this illicit affair in the White House. And even though the original reason that they were investigating him had nothing to do with extramarital affairs or infidelity, once they got on the witch hunt and realized they discovered something horrible— exposing it and bringing him to trial for it was just the, the Republicans couldn't resist. And so they did. And the American people paid them back in spades with losses, uh, political losses, and with an overall lowering of the reputation of the Republican Party. And in the intervening years at conferences and think tanks and all over the nation where Republicans get together and kind of do autopsies and decide, was this right? Was, you know, how did this, how did this really work out for us? Republicans across the country were like, you know, we had him, but we would have been better off taking the high ground and saying this behavior is beneath the office of the presidency, but is not the original reason why we investigated you. And therefore, we are going to move on and not impeach. President Clinton was impeached, but he remained in office. He didn't step down. I remember the day after they voted to impeach him, I was expecting an announcement that he was going to leave office. And instead, he was like, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I, we have a record economy. And he just went back to governing. And the American people really had a lot of sympathy for him, not because they agreed with his behavior. Everyone was repulsed by the things that we learned. But people had a lot of sympathy for him because it felt like the Republicans were relishing taking him down 
and taking the moral high ground. And it just wasn't, it wasn't what Americans wanted to see in their politics. And I think we're at a place where a lot of Americans may have similar feelings, even in spite of the, the partisanship. And so anytime the president can, you know, humble himself and take this tack, it doesn't mean he's not going to fight. It doesn't mean he's not going to still win. It doesn't mean he's not, he's going to give up on his, his legislative priorities or he's going to change his platform or anything like that. He is no more open to Nancy Pelosi's garbage proposals and all of the crap that the, the Democrats are trying to foist on Americans. He's not any more open to it than he was yesterday. But what he is, do is doing is acknowledging the separation of powers. As the president, as the executive branch, the head of the executive branch, and the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, he still does not have the power to dictate to Congress when they will allow him to address them. His acknowledgement of that is, to me, kind of astounding, because if it were Barack Obama, he would have used his bully pulpit in the media to force the Republicans to allow him to have the State of the Union. The president said he's not going to have it anywhere else. He's not going to go out into the country and have it in, in you know, like I said, we, he should have a rally. He should bring it to Missouri. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do any of those things because he's the president of the United States and the State of the Union is given from the well in con of Congress and it's given before Congress to Congress with the, the, the invited guests of the First Lady and it is given to the sitting members of the Supreme Court and other distinguished guests. And so he's saying he will do it in the way that it has been done for time immemorial as a, as a part of what we do as Americans. He's going to do it the way it's always been done. I have a lot of respect for it because a lot of places, uh, news news stories out to that, oh, he caved, oh, he gave in, oh, you know, he just this, he just that. And there's a bit of gloating. Weren't we just gloating because he told her she couldn't take a military plane, which was his right as commander in chief of the military? And so now she's saying he can't come there until the government is open back up. And we all know she doesn't want the government open because this is a really wonderful place for her to be. Um, but I think the president made the right choice. It's not the choice that I was leaning towards. Obviously, I was all ginned up about him maybe traveling across the nation. Um, and, and he could still do that, just not for the State of the Union. He's, he's made a, a clear choice here. I, I think it's helpful for us to remember that he is the president. And what I would do because I'm Stacey Washington and I live over here, you know, in the Midwest and I'm not the commander of anything. <laughs> I'm the commander of our dog, our Maltese. <laughs> but other than that, I'm not a commander. So, you know, he's got a different mindset. I think it's the right choice. When we get back, we're going to have Adam Michelle from the Heritage Foundation. Stay there. Here's American Family Association President... Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. 
Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. I believe the latest government shutdown has been a fiscal preview of financial problems that will hit the government and us in the next few years. I'm not the only one saying this. Kevin Williamson in a recent column says the shutdown could be a dress rehearsal for a fiscal Armageddon. Each day we see news reports of government bureaucrats who've had to scale back their spending because they aren't receiving a paycheck. There was even one story about a couple that took back their Christmas presents. But we all know that when the shutdown is over, government employees will receive back pay. These news reports are focusing on what happens when thousands of federal workers don't get their paychecks. Imagine what our society would look like when millions of citizens stop getting checks because the government has run out of money. We aren't there yet. But we're headed there quickly. Total spending on the major entitlements, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, will eventually exceed all the federal tax revenue collected each year. And at the same time, the national debt continues to grow. And as interest rates increase, the cost of servicing the debt will go up even if the national debt did not increase. In the best of all worlds, we would hope that our newly elected members of Congress would be willing to address this growing fiscal crisis. Unfortunately, I haven't seen the slightest interest from congressional leaders to reform our long-term fiscal issues. It's easier to ignore the potential problem or postpone any meaningful reform. The next time you see a story about federal workers not getting paychecks, look at the frustration on their faces and multiply it tenfold in order to see what will happen when grandma doesn't get her Social Security check or an impoverished mother doesn't get her welfare payment. That will be a social and economic crisis we have never seen in our lifetimes. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From SkyPass Entertainment, the least of these, the Graham Stain story, the least of these rated PG-13, in theaters February 1st, the least of these dot movie. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you for being here and for tuning into the program from all over the place. We really appreciate you, and uh, I just, oh, so good, so good, so good to have you here. Um, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. It's Adam Michelle. He's a policy analyst in the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation, and he's been on before to kind of break things down for us, and I love having experts on, especially from Heritage. So, Adam, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Okay, let's talk about it. Doom and gloom, naysayers, are, are did they abound? Everyone's talking about how horrible the shutdown is going to be for our GDP and for the economy, et cetera, et cetera. What's the real deal here? Yeah, so, you're right. Everywhere, you re- everywhere you're reading stories about, um, about government workers having to return their Christmas presents or uh, what have you, and that, and that's all, that all, that was all true. Like People that aren't getting their paychecks are, are struggling to make ends meet. But most of those, those, those workers, all federal workers, will get back pay when the government opens again. And, and so, so, so everything will go back to normal eventually. It is, it is temporary, uh, temporary pain for those individuals, but we shouldn't expect it to crash the entire economy or, or turn around all the good econo- economic news that we were seeing before the government shut down. The fundamentals are still, are still strong. Okay. So I totally like I'm 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 right there with you because I was thinking to myself this sounds like the apocalypse but every time so I I was on active duty during during a shutdown 
and our credit union fronted all of us the money. Everybody who was banking at the credit union on base got paid like nothing was going on. Now, I was on active duty in the Air Force. It's a little different than working for the federal government. But anyone who banks at a credit union is probably still getting paid. For people who aren't banking at a credit union, you would think if they're not going to take that extra step that they would at least have a month's worth of food at the house, which I'm also really surprised to see Federal workers who are, they make more than the median household income of fifty six thousand for a family of four. They make far more than that. Why would they not have a month's worth of food on hand? Just in not, forget a government shutdown, just because. Yeah, I think the, the your, your broader point is really important. Is it, it's it's really at a, the fundamental level we should be questioning. Uh, how involved the government is in the economy. If, if we think that 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 some government uh, employees not coming to work or not getting their paycheck is going to crash the economy, that that should be problematic on on an even deeper level. Mm-hmm. The the fact that 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 people think we should be even more reliant on, on the government would make these type of, uh, of of temporary interruptions even more detrimental. That's the one of the beauties of of small limited government is we wouldn't have that we wouldn't have these problems people shouldn't be reliant on the government for for for, for their day-to-day necessities that should be something that, that that folks are are providing for for themselves you shouldn't have to ask the government for permission to run your private business you shouldn't uh, the something like TSA should be privately provided by the airlines by the um, by by the airport there's you sort of go down the list I think it really what this is highlighting is how uh, over-involved in our lives the government actually is. So you mentioned um, that that there's there's just all this discussion about um, the doom and the gloom and how it, it points to a need for smaller government. But my, my thing is um, I just think about how many multiple millions of people work for the federal government. So we don't we don't really look at that number often and and it's millions of people um that work for the federal government which means if the government's shut down or if there's any threat to the government in any way their primary concern is to maintain the status quo so they tend to vote for the party that wants to preserve and grow government so it's like a vicious cycle that we're stuck in where People who work for the government want to see the government grow and maintain power. They don't want to hear people like you and I talking about reducing the size and scope of government or making government more efficient or reducing budgets or things of that nature. Yeah, you hit on what what, what I've heard people call the iron law of bureaucracy, and that is that, that bureaucrats and the bureaucracy that they that they make up, their, their main issue uh, motive is to uh, – maintain the size of the bureaucracy and increase the scope of things that they do. And so uh, government is never, ever concerned. The people that work for government are very rarely concerned about how do I do, uh, how do I do fewer things and allow people to do more things for themselves. Instead, it's always how do we, how do I increase the staff that's under me? How do I increase the payrolls of all the people that I that I uh, that I manage, unlike in the private sector, where where you're measured based on how many people you serve and how 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 much you got prices to come down this year, or how many more people you helped. Uh, a lot of government statistics and worth in the bureaucracy here in Washington is based on how many people do I manage and and how uh, how big how much more money did Congress budget me this year, and all the incentives are pushing towards larger, larger, larger government rather than uh, taking a step back and saying, hey. Are, Maybe we should uh, reassess some of these things that we're having the government do. Well, and I think there's also a kind of 
I mean, obviously it's natural to want to protect your job, but there's a certain sense of entitlement that comes with working for the federal government because the, go the government doesn't lay people off. It doesn't furlough people. Now, last week, Adam, there was this big story out, and it was covered by a lot of, of conservative and right-leaning media organizations about the 30-day rule where people are automatically riffed if they've been off from work for the federal government for 30 days and they're non-essential, then their jobs are considered to be reductions in force after 30 days of a government shutdown. I haven't seen that happen. We're on day 34 or 35 now. What's going on with that? <laughs> you know, I think that uh, it sort of goes back to that, that fundamental law that those types of rules may be in place, uh, but the uh, the the idea that that the government could shrink that easily is uh, is something only in the it, for our imaginations. I think it it really takes it will take hard work and dedication to to and it's not even to to eliminate jobs, but something like 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 TSA, which the government currently funds. That that wouldn't be eliminating jobs. It just should be jobs that were more effectively done by by private institutions, by the airlines, by the airport. So it's. It's really a, a less less a matter of of reducing jobs, it's just about moving jobs from the government sector into the private sector. Well, okay. Speaking of TSA, I read a story, and I can't remember where they said that this was, and maybe in Florida somewhere, where it's an airport that doesn't have government TSA. Rather, they have a private corporation that runs their airport screening, and how much more satisfied the customers in that airport are in comparison to customers in airports that are uh, screened by the TSA. We've talked about privatizing the TSA for just ages. That seems like something that a Republican president could get done. I mean, it's not even a discussion point anymore. No one's discussing that. Yeah, and I, th I think that's a shame. There's, uh, I mean, it's ultimately something that, uh, that, that Congress uh, also has prerogative over, but but I, I, my understanding is that, that local airports have the ability to make that decision you just described and say, hey, we think we can do this more efficiently, make uh, customers happier, uh, do it at a, at a lower cost, make, get people through lines faster. Uh, and, and they have that option to, 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 to meet all the same TSA safety requirements but do it privately themselves. And it would be – I'm surprised that more airports haven't moved in that direction. I guess the problem is that when the government option is heavily subsidized and just sitting there for the taking, it, it crowds out any sort of private uh, entrepreneurship or innovation, which happens throughout the economy. Well, and Adam, you know what? While we're sitting here talking, it sounds like we're discussing pipe dreams or unicorns or something because we can't even get CNN out of the airport. So how are we going to get the TSA out? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like one battle at a time. If we could just get them to turn CNN off and just play, what's it called? The elevator music? It, just play that. Just play, you know, some low-key elevator music with no words and just play that in the airport because everybody's got a cell phone and a laptop. So if you want to know what's going on with the news, you can easily find out. And then we wouldn't have to sit there and listen to those people barking about impeachment every time we're in the airport. I, and I don't even know how to get it done. I've told people, hey, you should you know, reach out to the people who run your airport. But it's so hard to find the actual number to someone who, you know, it, it's just... It's like we're living in one of those command and control universes where, like, any minute I expect them to come in and force an installation of a television here and turn it on to CNN and leave it on 24 hours a day, and I'm at home. Like, that, that's how it feels. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, the, this, this idea that, that it's all gloom and doom, that we're only, we're only talking about little incremental steps or these, like, idea of privatizing something as a pipe dream 
all, all of that is there's, there's a grain of truth to it, but I think it's worth remembering all the successes that that have happened over the last couple of years. I mean, we're certainly if you're talking about how how this is going to affect the economy, what are we going to go into a recession next year? It's it's worth remembering that we're not in the world of 2017 or 2007. Uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act lowered taxes across the board for people and businesses. We're seeing business investment and consumer confidence and, and jobs and wage growth all all trending in in good good positive solid directions. The the deregulatory agenda of the of the Trump administration has really been the unsung uh, uh, story of, of of all the work that they've been doing behind the scenes. That that all of these things are 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 going to support a strong and robust economy. And so there is a lot of stuff to focus on that's negative out there, but there's a lot of really positive light uh, at the end of the tunnel as well. Well, I thank you for reminding us of that and for coming on the show today. Adam Michelle, Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I'm actually having a sneezing fit here, um, but I want to while I take care of that, I want to give you some audio from Sarah Sanders, who's talking about how it's not the White House's job to make stars of CNN wannabes. And what's so interesting about what she's saying is that it's the truth. But most of those in the media feel like it is their job. The reason why the White House briefing room exists is so that wannabe stars, people who want to be CNN contributors or MSNBC contributors can go in and ask a completely ludicrous left field question and make a name for themselves so that they can get those contracts. And she's saying that's not what she's there for. She's not here for it. Here she is in number four. Look, I take questions from reporters every single day. The idea that this White House isn't accessible to the press uh, is absolutely laughable. I've done over 100 briefing, answered thousands of questions from members of the press. I stopped last night after I finished an interview where I took questions mm-hmm. and took more questions from a gaggle of reporters standing right outside uh, the building behind me. I'm sure I'll do that again here in a few minutes. Uh, the president takes questions nearly every single day from reporters, and we're on call almost 24 hours. A day. I, uh, look, we'll, we'll see what happens. As the president said yesterday, okay. he doesn't like the decorum in the White House. Look, we're in the business of getting information to the American people, not making stars out of people that want to become contributors on CNN. And uh, that's a lot of times what we see take well, place in the briefing room. We're more than happy to take questions, uh, but we think that there should be a certain level of decorum and a certain level of honesty and okay. responsibility that comes with that. Uh, does, not, does that not make sense? What she's saying is that in, in any case, the briefings are information gathering and sharing opportunities where she can say to someone, uh, they, they can ask her a question and she can share. It is not an opportunity to express to her how much you hate her or how much you hate the president. It's not an opportunity to talk about your feelings. It's not an opportunity to whine and complain. And for an example of how their, their behavior has not changed, if you're wondering, well, I mean, how bad could it be? I will put this on the Facebook page. It's a YouTube video of, I believe it's this morning. Let me just click the little down arrow so I can see. Mm. No, this is from yesterday. Kellyanne Conway comes out of, there's an area at the White House, like so there's the different entry points, and there's an area where the media will stand, they'll do stand-ups so that they have an image of the White House in the, in the background. And they also have a place where they can go inside and kind of keep warm because of the, the horrible temperatures. And they kind of hang out there because it's a landing zone where people go into the White House and where people come out. And they can catch 
all of these, you know, it, these are these are the people who know the most about what's going on in the White House, uh, cabinet members, staffers, etc. And they catch them and they try to get a comment, get a question in. This is normal. It's routine. So Kellyanne Conway is one of the only ones who still goes out to this particular area. She actually walks out there and stands there and they have all their microphones pointing at her and she takes their questions. What I love about Kellyanne Conway, and, and maybe I'll get a bit of this for you to hear tomorrow um, because it's so instructive the way she handles them. Uh, she actually asked them questions about why, why didn't you talk about how Nancy Pelosi lied and said that the reason she didn't want to do the State of the Union was because the shutdown had prevented uh, you know, the, the FBI from providing proper security. To which DHS and the FBI both said, eh, no, we're still prepared. We were, we've prepared for months for this, so we can still do it. And then she pivoted over to, well, the government shut down, so we can't give the State of the Union. So why didn't the media ask her about that? Why haven't they held her to the, to, to the carpet on that? Instead, they spent a lot of time shouting questions at her really rudely and asking her why the president thought he could just stroll into Congress without having permission to be there. Imagine any person who's a journalist asking about Barack Obama strolling into anywhere because he didn't have permission. Can you imagine that? It wouldn't happen because Barack Obama was black and there was no way anyone would infer that he could not only walk on water, but walk into any hall of Congress that he wanted to with or without permission because he was the first black president and he was special and he was also their Lord and Savior, someone they worshiped and bowed down to and scraped in front of while Everyone else just saw him as a regular man who was elected to the presidency. So Kellyanne Conway took, she took them to task about that. But she also said, you're not doing your jobs. You're not asking any of the questions of the other side, which is why no one wants to come out here and talk to you. And so there's, a, there's been a, a whole lot of discussion. And you heard Sarah Sanders talk about how, how many briefings she's given. They're saying she hasn't given nearly as many as any of the previous press secretaries. That's not true. She also hasn't been given the same respect that the other press secretaries were given. She also has not been treated like a human being. And I, I don't think she's not doing the briefings because she's afraid or she's upset or that she can't handle it. I think it's more about the president saying, I'm talking to these people every time I go out on Marine One and you're still going on television and I'm still tweeting. And so we still have a working functioning apparatus here and as long as Jim Acosta is going to be yelling and screaming and making a nuisance of himself and we can't keep him out of the room, we might as well just not have the briefings as often. So it's Jim Acosta's fault. Anyway, we'll be back with more after this. Stay there. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Speaker of the House Pelosi is unwilling to negotiate on any portion of the president's request for border wall funding, even going so far as to suggest that since the government is shut down, the president should postpone giving the State of the Union address. In response, President Trump took the common sense step of canceling the authorization for a military plane for Pelosi's congressional delegation to Afghanistan, Egypt, and Brussels. No one minded Nancy deciding single-handedly that the president should not have his State of the Union, but liberals across the land are wailing in agony over the cancellation of a very expensive trip abroad 
for the Speaker of the House. Isn't that double standard glaring? It's time for the Democrats, specifically Speaker Nancy Pelosi, to buckle down and negotiate to fund the wall at the southern border. That is what they are paid to do by American taxpayers. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. One goal is that we're hoping that believers will come to learn more about prayer and more about the vital place it's to have in the life of every single believer. Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. Each and every one of us is called to live a life given to prayer. All of us are wise to make prayer a big part of our individual lives, and we're wise to make it a big part of our life in our families and in our homes. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. Chris Brooks. A lot of parents raised their kids in church and did, in kind of scare quotes, everything right. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at junior or sis or their son or daughter who's uh, walked away from the faith and said, your God is not my God. And they're wanting to know what do we do to reach them. Tuned in to Equipped. Weekday afternoons at 12 Central on Urban Family Talk. Securing America. They died without family, but three military veterans were not alone as people gathered for their burials in Memphis. Funeral Director Gary Taylor spoke at a service for soldiers Arnold Kleska and Wesley Russell and Marine Charles Fox. We do not forget our dead. We honor them. We respect them. We cherish them. Flags were gently removed from three caskets, folded, and because no family was present to receive them, passed through a crowd of about 700 people. It's just one of us, part of our family. They didn't have family, and all of us here, even though we don't know each other, we were out here. The service part of a nationwide effort by medical examiners, funeral homes, and veterans groups to pay for funerals for veterans who have no relatives to claim them. Some have died homeless. Others have no surviving family. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We're building a lot of wall as we speak, a tremendous amount, and we're renovating a lot of the other wall. Otherwise, by the way, with what's coming up, because of the strong economy that we have, uh, we haven't had an economy like this, I guess, in over 50 years. Would you say that's correct, Steve? And because of the strong economy, everyone's pouring up, and uh, we're stopping them. But it's a lot of work. We have incredible people at the border, and you have to thank all of the Border Patrol agents and the ICE agents I see in Long Island. Uh, they don't want ICE. The, the radical Democrats don't want ICE there because they're too good. They're doing too good a job. And uh, I always talk about Long Island. That's one of the real hotbeds for, for the MS-13 gangs. And I just see this morning where the really radical Democrats don't want them there because they don't want to do anything to disturb MS-13. And when you think about it, MS-13 is about the most violent gang. They say one of the most violent anywhere in the world. And uh, they have done, we're sending them out by the thousands out of our country. Yeah, and that's good news. And what I wish we could see is, you know, obviously there's a lot of opposition to the president and his policies, but I just wish we could see uh, Democrats saying, you know what? Forget partisanship. I agree 
that we don't need MS-13 gang members in this country. And we are seeing a little bit of that. We're seeing some of these people, you know, coming forward and saying, look, I mean, barriers aren't all bad. Um, you know, I don't agree with Nancy Pelosi that barriers are immoral. Some of them are coming out and saying, look, we, we're not all crazy pants. Uh, I actually found a story also on um, the American Mirror, which I don't go there often, but it's, it's, uh, it was linked someplace else. And I, I got on here this morning, and, and they have a piece called Applause Line. Nancy Pelosi repeatedly tells mayors to clap for her. Uh, they describe her as being like a mother hen to the America's mayors on Wednesday, telling them when to clap for her. And she says, if there's an applause line, I'll let you know. And then she followed through. She claims that Democrats support strong border security initiatives. Do you want to let's hear it for border security? And then she raised her hand up, you know, applaud. And she said the American people elected a House majority that would uh, come on. That's an applause line. And so, <laughs> you know, the, uh, and then she said not for everybody, maybe. This article says she suffered several bizarre flubs during the appearance at the Na United States Conference on Mayors. She says, we will strengthen our democracy by passing the Equality Act. That is an act to end discrimination against LG, LGTB community. There are two challenges. Well, actually three that I want to just close with. And that is our, these are the, F, these will, here they are, she said with a flustered laugh. Suffering a brain freeze, Pelosi said, we have to think in a very dra drastic way about this. Wrapping up, she flubbed an attempt to connect with the audience. We must embrace innovation, inclusion. We just have to establish your motto that you have put forth here today. We're coming back to it here. She continued stalling and reading. You know it, hoping, hoping that the audience would bail her out of the awkward moment. Infrastructure, innovation, inclusion. So, oh my goodness. Um, I always hope that people will be completely lucid and completely cogent and, and, you know, just, it's so horrible to be public speaking and to flub, you know, I, if you've spoken in public as I have, then you know, you flubbed before. So I know, I know how that is. I'm just, I'm really concerned if she were to have to step down before the end of her term there, who would replace her? Like, oh my goodness, just it's, and what is going on with Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Uh, what, what, what is going on there? Um, so, oh my. So I'm, what, what I'm interested in is just seeing like what, what can they do to get the Democrats to come back down to earth and start behaving as if they're, a part of the government instead of a rogue force trying to, uh, you know, um, undo the results of the 2016 election. So another piece kind of over at the AP kind of talks about how President Trump ended the showdown with Pelosi and postponed the State of the Union address. And, um, you know, she did this whole thing where you can't come in. She said that to him after she'd heard that he was planning on showing up anyway. And I've seen a cartoon out there where the cartoon shows the president with his State of the Union folder. And there's a brick wall that's been installed between in, in the doorway of Congress so he can't get in. And I think that's kind of an apt representation of how they want to block him out of government. In fact, 
I would say that this is exactly what we're seeing as the president is being blocked out of executing his duties because they just don't want him to be the president anymore. And so that brings me to, um, and we have a little bit of time. We can definitely um, take calls here. And someone told me I said the number too fast. I apologize. I am a a speed talker. Uh, But the number is 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. I want to give you a little bit of resource here for uh, how we can pray for these political issues. We can pray for the government, especially political and civic issues, using 1 Timothy 2.1. We can ask the Lord to put the person of his choice into office. We can pray that the Lord uh, would support and, and strengthen the person who has been placed in office. We can ask God to inspire leaders to make choices for righteousness. We can ask him to help our leaders have the courage to stop unjust policies, appointments, laws, and so on. And so I want to give you 1 Timothy 2.1. Uh, and, and then I have a website for you after that about downsizing the government. Uh, so 1 Timothy 2.1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all of the people. And the website that I want to give you so we can kind of get our minds wrapped around what our last guest was talking about. When Adam said, uh, well, he was talking about, you know, imagining what happens when there is no, like it's not a shutdown, the government has just run out of money. And none of us can imagine that because as a nation, we have extraordinary borrowing power because of our GDP. But what if we didn't? What if we couldn't borrow the money? What if all of a sudden it really was, because when, when you hear people getting their social security checks, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It should be no universe in which you cannot get your social security check because you paid in for that. It's one thing for people who are getting welfare checks. They didn't pay in for that. So getting that money, you know, that's a bit of a, you know, it's like a roll of the dice. But the money you paid in, this is the irresponsibility that we have going on in our government right now. So the website is downsizinggovernment.org. And they have a blog and then they have information put together about commerce, agriculture, defense, education, Energy, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Housing and Urban Development, Interior, Labor, Social Security, Transportation, and other agencies and programs. They have charts for you to look at where you can see how the spending has gone up precipitously no matter what party is in office. Small businesses being held hostage by the shutdown. Winners and losers in, in the state form, in the form of a state, which states are winners and losers from centralized government. And they have an article here about pay for federal government workers. And this is all recent content, January 18th, the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, these posts are from. And you can click at the top and get straight to uh, the spending charts, which will show you where the money is going. And so, uh, you know, I just, what I, what I hope for is that people would understand that if we ever got to a place where people weren't, like, there's books about this. Six Seconds After, that's one of the books that uh, we read for book club a few years back. And in that book, it talks about an EMP blast going off over the United States, which God forbid, we we have to pray that that would never happen. But when it does, the people who keep everything running are no longer able to keep everything running, namely the prison wardens and those who keep everyone who's incarcerated behind all of those 
you know, electronic doors. If there's no power, those electronic doors don't work. So people who are being held in are now suddenly free. So you have roving bands of criminals going all over the country. And then you have people who live in poverty-stricken areas, but they're getting welfare when their card doesn't work anymore and the grocery store has been ransacked and there's no food in there and trucks aren't moving because all of our cars are now electronically, the, they're electronically controlled. So if there's an EMP blast that fries those electronics, the car doesn't work. Now, for people who have older cars that are not predicated upon electronics, those cars would still work. But the majority of our cars are these little electronic marvels that everything in it is, is controlled by, by a little computer. And so you have no cars working, no trucks working, no deliveries being made, you have no electricity, the power grid is down, and then people who are in areas where, you know, they're traveling outside their area to get food. Now they don't have electricity, they don't have food, they don't have money, so they just start en masse leaving those areas and going out to where they know there is food. They assume there's food in places out in the suburbs, that the suburbs still have power and still have food, and they get out there and the suburbs don't have power. And they don't have food and everyone's armed, uh, you know, the people who aren't armed are at the, uh, at the mercy of those who are, which is why I, I go back to something I mentioned to Adam. And obviously that's not his purview as an economist and policy analyst over at, at Heritage, but it behooves all of us. You are, you are not running your household correctly as a woman if you don't have 30 days worth of food at the house. I'm talking about dry goods and water. If you don't have that for your family. 30 days worth, what are you doing? You, you shouldn't be drinking lattes, getting your nails done, doing anything but working on getting 30 days worth of food at your house. Then you go beyond that. Are you really comfortable with just 30 days? If you are, fine. But if you're not, what are you doing? So because that, that's how I, I, can, I just can't begin to explain how shocked I am that government employees who make a good living most earning far more than Americans in the private sector would need to go to food banks or not be able to pay for their necessities. You're earning all of that money and you don't have two weeks worth of food at home, the first missed paycheck and you're all out of food and you're in a food bank, which thank God for the food banks and definitely, but what about your backup plan? You haven't signed up for Instacart, you know, so that you can deliver groceries so that you can make enough money to buy gas and keep everything running until the government shutdown's over. Here, here's what we know. It's going to be over. And the Republicans have already voted twice to pay everybody while the shutdown is going on. And when it's over, they're going to vote to give everybody back pay. So it's a temporary condition. So I'm, I am not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying we... We've got to be better than that. Got to be better than that. We have to have some food at the house. We have to have some provisions so that our families can rest in the fact that, hey, you know, government shut down, but we still have to go to school. So we can still pack our lunch and we can still, uh, you know, catch the bus to school or do whatever. And we can still function until the government's open back up. Having a little bit of money set aside for this kind of eventuality. You don't have to have 10 grand set aside, but you need to have enough to make your mortgage payment and to, you know, do a little bit of, of grocery shopping and buy gas and keep your electric bill, you know, paid and your, your gas bill paid. If that's not the case, that is a super high priority, whether you're a government worker or not, to have those things in place so that you're not at the mercy of what has become really 
the situation in Washington, D.C. is volatile. And every chance the Democrats get, they're going to be exerting any power that they can get their hands on to subvert the president's agenda and to make life miserable for anyone who is within the vicinity. That means people have to be prepared. So I just encourage, you know, first of all, get get some kind of gig economy job. You can be driving for Lyft or Uber. You can be doing some of everything and earning money in the interim. And when everything gets back to normal, get those stores set aside. You And there are so many websites. One of the best websites for figuring out how to set money or not money, but set aside provisions for your family is um, run by the Mormons because the Mormons keep huge provisions of stores of food for their family when, when they're, pardon me, um, all of them are required to do that by the church. And so they have a place where you can go and buy food that's really, it's packaged for storage. And they have a way that you can buy a little bit of food every time you go grocery shopping and within a certain amount of time have all the stockpiled food that you need in order to keep your family um, from ever being in a position of starving or anything like that. It can be done. And I know if you're, if you're already prepared or you have, you know, 90 days worth of expenses set aside, you're probably thinking, how could you be going over this? It's clear that this information is needed because look at how many people are literally, they're on TV in line getting food from food pantries and talking about how they're, they're afraid they're going to starve to death. And it's only been two weeks since their last paycheck. That's not what God has for us. No way. All right. I'm going to take my uh, sinus impaired self off into other regions of my home to try to figure out what's going on. And I want to say God bless you and have a fantastic evening straight from me to you. Thanks for being at home at American County Radio. And we'll be back with you tomorrow.